Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the wind of the Spirit. Before I do that, I would, I would like to uh, address just a couple of issues that I think can help you. I want to equip you with some things that I think will make a difference uh, as we get ready for the week of power. The week of power, uh, for those who are new, uh, it's a Sunday through Thursday event where Bill Johnson, Randy Clark are going to be here, not at the same time but on different evenings and are going to be ministering. And we just believe it's going to be exactly what we've called it, a week of power where people are going to be healed uh, and that we're going to see the Lord really do some amazing things. Um, So we're excited about it and encourage you to be inviting people, telling people about it. I will just simply tell you this. uh, We know that people are coming in from overseas, three different countries. Uh, They're renting VRBOs. Uh, here in the area, that there are people that are making plans. I know of people that are coming from Michigan or coming from Wisconsin, uh, coming from Illinois. People are going to be coming in, and so uh, it's going to be a powerful, powerful time. Now, I I realize that uh, from last year, last year when we invited Bill, uh, there was quite a bit of, when I say quite a bit, it's never been insurmountable, but there were a lot of people that had questions, not so much in the church as outside the church. And I'm sure that as we get closer to the week of power, that there are going to be people that are going to, um, again, and I I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, well-meaning people concerned about you are going to say, did you see this? And, uh, you know, they're going to send you videos and video clips uh, about Bill. And the shocking news is this. That not everything on the internet's true. I mean, that's that's a shock, but it's just the way it is. So uh, you can't believe everything you see on the internet. And um, what you have on the internet is you have several factors that are at at work. Uh, You have some people who want notoriety and they want clicks and they want followers on the internet. And the way to do that is to sensationalize things on the one hand, and on the other hand, to find somebody who's well-known and then uh, go after them, say things, twist things, cut, paste, edit, and uh, to do that all for the purpose of alarming people so people will follow them and it creates a stir. Uh, Other people have taken it upon themselves to be heresy hunters. So they're out to straighten out the entire body of Christ, which I say good luck on that. Um, but you know, they're, they're out there exposing. So for example, I mean, just this week, uh, Christian Research Network or whatever is, is, you know, saying the Asbury revival is false and fake and um, et cetera, et cetera, which is really ridiculous. And um, what they want to do is they want to analyze and critique anyone they don't agree with. Often these people, and you just have to remember this, are theologically cessationists. Uh, what that means is they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe, they believe the miracles ended with the apostles, and there aren't real miracles today. So you have a combination of that on the internet. The videos, and there are many, fall in basically four categories. The first category is people who say uh, Bill doesn't believe in the deity of of Christ, 
which is patently untrue. And you say, well, if it's untrue, then why doesn't Bill do something about it? Well, if you've listened to him at all, you know that he has at times taken great pains stopping in a sermon to say, listen, I do believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and he has an orthodox view of, of Jesus. And by orthodox, I mean consistent within uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, here's the deal. We all know this is true. I can get up with, there's an urban legend about James River, and the urban legend is this, that if you come to James River and you're a part of James River, we expect you to give us your your W-2. We've never done that. I have publicly said over and over again, we don't do that. Doesn't matter, does it? People still say it, right? So Bill's been very clear on that. Uh, the second is that Bill and Bethel promote grave soaking or grave sucking. And um, that is a ridiculous uh, thing. It's not true. I could tell you where it came from. It doesn't matter because there's nothing to it. There's no truth to it. And anything you read on that is uh, fabrications. Number three, it would have to do with Bethel's practices relative to healing and deliverance. And most of these, again, most of these groups do not believe in healing and deliverance. So if you don't believe in it, uh, they could say the same things about us as well. The fourth area has to do with a book called The Physics of Heaven, written by one of the staff members at Bethel. And, and in that book, it talks about energy. It talks about energy fields. It talks about certain words and finding words. And, and Bill wrote a couple of chapters in that book, and his chapters are theologically sound. And they really have to do with Bill's understanding of kingdom theology and the already not yet understanding of, of the kingdom now. Let me just say this. I'm not a fan. Uh, you may be. I'm not a fan of the physics of heaven. And the reason why is simply this. There's a biblical principle that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, and he says, don't go beyond what is written. And I think once we move outside of the realm of what is written in the Bible, um, that we're in an area that I think uh, could quickly become indefensible. That being said, there are people I know who love God and who they subscribe to that. And you say, well, what are you going to do about it? The answer is nothing. <laughs> because when it comes to the kingdom, we have to look at it this way. There are what I would call close-handed principles and doctrines, open-handed principles and doctrines. Close-handed means these are not up for negotiation, and you either got these down, or you're really not part of orthodox Christianity. Let, let me give you some. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There is salvation in no other name. That unless a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will die in their sin and go to an eternal hell. If they receive him, they'll go to heaven. Are you with me? Those are non-negotiables. Those are true. The word of God is, in, is inspired. The Bible is the inspired word of God. There's some things. I'm not giving you an exhaustive list here. I'm giving you a few examples, okay? Those are things that are not up for debate. And if somebody is not there, then, then uh, you know, there's, uh, you cannot count them as a part of evangelical Christianity. Okay? Then there are open-handed issues. 
issues infant baptism, for example. I believe that infant baptism is not taught anywhere in the Bible. But there are people I highly respect who, who will honor infant baptism or will teach it. Tim Keller was somebody, uh, if you're aware of Tim Keller, a great theologian, a lover of God. And, you know, hey, he and I would disagree on that. Uh, Holy Spirit baptism. There's some people who don't believe in the Holy Spirit baptism. I believe in it, but I know there are some beautiful Christians who, whose understanding of that is different from mine. Miracles and healing. There are some people who don't believe in healing, but I know they know the Lord and love the Lord. And so that's open-handed. Hey, you don't have to believe that miracles are for today to make it to heaven, right? We could go on. You know, recently the Southern Baptist disfellowshipped uh, Saddleback Church because they brought in a, a new young pastor and he and his wife are serving together as lead pastors. And the Southern Baptist said, that's not us. We, we believe in complementarianism, which is uh, each sex has its roles. And if you make her a lead pastor, we're kicking you out of the Southern Baptist. So that's, to me, though, women in ministry is an open-handed issue. Doesn't mean they're not. The people that are on the other side of that are, are not Christians. Are you with me? So you have closed-handed issues. You have open-handed issues. I see the physics of heaven as being under the heading of open-handed principles. The only time something like that gets um, uh, a little bit iffy for me is when somebody is in the body, as in the church here, and they are juxtapositioning themselves against the church. In other words, they're teaching, for example, the physics of heaven and saying, well, I know Pastor Lindell doesn't agree with that, or I know James River doesn't. Once somebody goes there, what are they doing? They're causing division. And we will every day of the week talk to people about that. Outside of that, listen, God has not caused me to be his celestial cop. And my job is not to go around and blow the whistle and say, heresy! My job is to rightly divide the word of truth. And the best way to teach people to spot a counterfeit is to teach people the truth, right? So that's what we do here. Now, let me say this. I take issue with everybody who goes online and, and does this stuff, and here's why. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother offends you, go to him privately, just between the two of you and talk it out. Then he says this, if he, if he listens, you've won your brother over. If he doesn't listen, then what do you do? You take two or three others with you, you go again, you have a conversation. Then if he doesn't listen, you do what? Put it on the internet, get it on Facebook, get it on. No. You tell it to the church. And the church is not the internet. I think it's biblically... Um, tragic and possibly sinful to air church differences of opinion in front of unbelievers on the internet. It's tragic. So what do you, what do you, now the upshot is, what do you say to people when they come to you and they say, oh, I got a video you got to see. Here's what you say. You say, listen, my pastor, and I'm going to tell you what I've done here. So I've probably listened to between 50 and 70 of Bill's messages. You say, wow, that's a lot. Not if you're a preacher, it's not. If you're a preacher, you're listening to preaching all the time. 
I've listened over the course of my life to tens of thousands of sermons. I've listened to everybody from Jack Hayford, T.D. Jakes, uh, Craig Rochelle, John MacArthur, uh, Charles Swindoll, Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers, Jim Semble. I mean, I could go on. I mean, I've listened to, I'm constantly listening. I like good preaching. I'm a preaching junkie. I like to hear good preaching. So I've listened to a lot of Bill's sermons. I've never found anything that I was like, ooh, this is a red flag. Number two, I've read a lot of Bill's books, so eight to ten of his books. I've read them. I've benefited greatly from his writing and his teaching. All that to say, I take very seriously who sits in this pulpit. Listen, I don't take this lightly. This is a sacred place. I love this church. I love you, and I will stand before God for what I allow to happen in the church. I understand that. But most of all, and most importantly, unlike the people on the internet who are taking snippets and clipping and doing whatever they're going to do, I've talked to Bill. Not once, not twice, multiple times. Bill and I, it's safe to say, have had several conversations that have covered hours on theology. I've asked him about grave sucking or grave soaking. I know the answers to those questions. I'm just telling you, he is a godly man, and he has had a wonderful influence on my life and what we're seeing in the church today, he's contributed to through his ministry. So here's what you would say to somebody. You would say, listen, you know what? Unlike the people on the internet, my pastor has spent hours with Bill. He's talked to Bill. He's asked Bill's questions. They've talked about theology. He's read Bill's stuff. He's seen Bill's sermons. And you know what? Thank you for your concern for me, but I don't really want to watch your video, and I'm not sure I'm even in on all that. And so God bless you. We love you, but we're not going there, okay? So that's, that's the whole way to handle that. And I, I, I think we want to be kind to people, bless people. And then here's what you have to accept. Not everybody can go at the same speed. And that doesn't mean they're bad. And that doesn't mean something's wrong with them. So think of, think of the church here. When the healing started happening, there were some people that were like, yeehaw, finally, this is amazing. And then there were other people like, I'm not sure this is real. And then there were some people who were like, I believe it's fake. Now, we didn't go to people and say, shame on you that you think it's fake. We're like, you know what? You'll think that until you're healed. Yeah. And then once you're healed, you know, one lady, she was over there in the stadium. She stood in the aisle, and as they prayed for her, she was instantly healed. She turned to her family and was saying to them, it's real, it's real, it's not fake. I thought it was fake, but it's real. I'm healed. So I'm just saying that Uh, You know, we all are in journey. We're all in process. And what I'm excited about the week of power is not only what we're going to have happen and see happen and people, I I believe God is uh, is working. Um, But I think it's an opportunity for you to learn how to minister. And there are going to be some things that are going to be different. There are going to be some things that you say, like, what? Well, you find out. I mean, that's what, you know, obviously, when you bring people in 
who are different, they're going to do different things that are consistent with their ministry. But I'm not worried about that with Randy Clark. Randy, you know, and Bill would be in the same zone. But Randy was like, Pastor, would you read a couple of these books and tell me if there's anything at all that you're concerned about? Because my goal is not to come in and do my deal. My goal is to build the church, not divide the church. And I wouldn't want to say one thing, do one thing to divide the church. I mean, that's a beautiful spirit. So... Bill and Randy are that, that spirit. Um, they, they love uh, the Assemblies of God, even though Bill used to be Assemblies of God, isn't today, uh, because really Bethel got bigger in some ways, and uh, they went a different direction, but still uh, great people. So I just want to set you at ease. I don't think you have to answer people. I think you just have to say, Thank you for your concern. Love you. And uh, certainly you don't need to pass the videos on to us. We've seen them all. We know, we know what's out there. And, um, and I've told you what I think. So uh, fair, enough? fair enough? Yeah, I just want to help you with that. Let me, um, let me uh, address one other thing that I think will help you as you're processing what's, you know, Asbury University is having this revival. And so it started on February 8th, and, you know, it's just, it's really a wonderful thing. It's, a, it's uh, uh, God has visited them. Now, here's what happens is some people will say, you know, because we've had some people say, why don't we do that? Why don't we start, like, singing around the clock and having services around the clock? And I am certainly not ever opposed to that, but I think there's some issues that we have to think through on this and we have to be aware of some things. Namely, we have to understand what God is doing, right? Because the Bible says this, if people, in the, in the message, I love what Proverbs 29, it, it says this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So we have to see not only what God is doing at Asbury, but what God is doing at James River. And um, let me just say this. I celebrate whatever God is doing, wherever he's doing it, right? Let's be generous. Let's, be, let's, let's cheer on uh, the people in the kingdom of God. What I think helps us is there are terms that are used and things that God is doing, things we're praying for, things we're experiencing, things they're experiencing. And, and let me just give you three phrases that would describe a visitation of God and kind of help you think that through a little bit. One is a great awakening. So we're praying for a great awakening for especially Southwest Missouri, but ultimately for the state and the country. Uh, a great awakening could be defined this way. It's a visitation of God on a city, a county, a region, or a country that affects the people spiritually and changes the societal values and interaction. So when you get a great awakening, what you're talking is you're talking about God visiting an area in a way that is transformational to, to uh, really very detailed degrees. So let's take the, the Welsh Revival, which happened in 1905. And when it happened, it swept across Wales. It was started as a prayer meeting by young people. And as they prayed and sought God, it began to grow. Uh, some of the great preachers of the day, like G. Campbell Morgan, visited it. And they said, we're not going to get involved because if we do, we'll ruin it. But we're going to cheer them on. Isn't that great? So they, they were like, hey, God is using them. Let's let God use them. But it so permeated Wales that all the pubs in Wales but one shut down because people quit drinking. 
the mines shut down because the miners had taught the mules who were carrying the ore out uh, and the coal out, they had taught them to uh, respond to profanity for the commands. But when they got saved, they quit swearing, and when they quit swearing, the mules didn't understand them. <laughs> so you're getting a sense that's a great awakening changes society to its core in a, very, in a very substantial way. In the history of America, there have been four great awakenings. There was the great awakening of uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, that, that happened uh, up in the Northeast. And when he was preaching, he was a Puritan preacher. He preached his message, centers in the hands of an angry God. He was so concerned that people would be moved by his intonation of his voice or the emotion in his voice, that he practiced reading his sermon in a monotone so that what happened was truly only God. As he read the sermon in a monotone voice without emotion, God came on that place in such a way that people grabbed the pews and cried out to God for fear they would fall into hell. That's, a, that's what an awakening does. It is God coming down and... Uh, Really, in many ways, the fearsomeness of his presence just taking people uh, and changing them radically. So then there was the Great Awakening from 1810 to 1840. Uh, some call it the Baptist uh, Awakening. Uh, Peter Cartwright, some of the others. Charles Finney was at the end of this. Um, but whole, whole states, whole regions of the country transformed. Then there was a Great Awakening from 1880 to 1910. And so, uh, you know, the Welsh Revival happened, and that really influenced Azusa Street. Azusa Street was in 1906. And so there was a move of God that really transformed uh, great parts of the country. And then between 1960 and 1980, the, the uh, charismatic renewal, in fact, there's a new movie out about Chuck Smith and the Jesus people and how that really ushered in a lot of this awakening. So you can tell by looking at the dates, we're really close. We're due for an awakening. I believe it's time. I believe the Spirit of God is stirring across the country. And that here's what's interesting to me about this awakening. You know what happened in the 1950s? You had in the late 40s the Latter Rain Movement um, and some things happening that really led to the 50s being a time of, of the healing evangelists. So that in the 1950s, there were years when there would be 600 tents around the country packed with people who were seeing amazing miracles happen. The healing led to the Great Awakening. What's happening here? I just am praying that we will have a great awakening that will turn our society inside out, that will change families, will change, set people free, that will change the core of everything about our society. The second visitation of God is what we'd call a revival. Now, what a revival is, is a revival is when a person, church, or Christian institution is lacking spiritual vitality to the point of being spiritually dead or in the throes of spiritual death. Now, that could be, that could be almost severe. It might be that they just become very lukewarm. You, you could need a revival then. So um, revival is, is when God visits a place. I see Asbury University as a revival. I don't see it as an awakening because it'd have to transform the whole community around them, in my opinion. So, um, you know, Charles Finney, 
He wrote Lectures in Revival. It's a very interesting book. He just talks about things that matter. You know, one of the things he says that matters uh, when a church is going to have revival, you better clean the spittoons. You better have comfy chairs. You better have the heat up. You know, a lot of times people don't think about the surroundings, but, but that's important in revival. You say, well, it doesn't matter if... Well, Finney didn't think so, and he was, a, he was a very austere revivalist. But he said revival's needed when people stop loving one another. Revival's needed when they've lost a passion for the lost. Revival's needed when they've stopped praying. Revival's needed when they've stopped serving in the church. Revival's needed when, they're, when Christians are just living in sin and sinners are doing crazy things. Then you know you need to have a revival. And so um, a revival... The way I think of a uh, revival is like the defibrillator paddles. You know, somebody's heart's getting ready to stop. It's out of rhythm. It's not good. They're going to die. Or their, their heart is, they can't get it with CPR to, to work properly. And so they take the paddles and they apply it to the heart. And it, it shoots electricity in and, and brings their heart back into rhythm. Revival, if, if, it's like defibrillator paddles. If you use those on a healthy person, what's going to happen? You're going you're gonna to damage them. Revival is for things that are dying. Then the third visitation of God is what I would call a move of God. And a move of God is when God stirs a spiritually alive person, church, or Christian institution and demonstrates his glory in tangible ways. What are we seeing? Listen, what's happened here? James River, we've... we've Year after year, seeing the number of people baptized grow, seeing the number of people getting saved grow, and all to the glory of God. It's so exciting to see. But now, in the middle of all of that happening, what happens is God, he breathes on the church. He breathes on the church and says, I'm going to do something. These people who love me, these people who have prayed for 25 years on Wednesday night, I'm going to do something that they've never seen before. I'm going to do something tangible that people can't deny. I'm going to visit them in a unique and a wonderful and a powerful way. So I'm for a visitation of God, however he's visiting, whether it's revival, whether it's an awakening, whether it's a move of God. And we're in a, we're in a move of God. And what you can't do is you can't copy what God is doing somewhere else. You have to be very careful. You say, well, would you be open to 24-hour services and people singing? Boy, if God says do it, I'm all over it. But I'm not all over it because somebody else is doing it. Because here's the principle. Whatever God starts, he sustains. Whatever we start, we sustain. And I don't want to sustain a pretend move of God because I can't, and neither can you. I want, I want what God has for this place and this time, and I'm celebrating. Um, you know, we've had staff that have gone down to Asbury. It's wonderful. It's so exciting. I'm so thrilled, and, and we want to learn from what's happening there, but at the same time, we know God is moving here, and uh, we're excited about that and open to whatever God has for us. Fair enough? Does that help you a little bit? Kind of process some things, think through some things. I'm going to bring up one verse that I've been thinking a lot about, and that's John chapter 3 and verse 8. I've been thinking about this verse um, 
for probably, well, I thought about it all the while I was on vacation and before I went on vacation. I, I think it's such an interesting verse. The wind blows wherever it pleases. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. I often used to think, though, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, he moves in the way he moves. And, and, but it's saying, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see, there's a dimension to our life that has to have that kind of flexibility. And I'm going to have the musicians come up that needs to have that kind of flexibility that says, Lord, whatever you're doing, that's what I want. Wherever you're leading, the sensitivity that, that can, can sense the presence of the Lord, that is, your heart is so in tune that sometimes you, you have, you're weighing it out, you're thinking it out. Um, because if you're going to be led by the Spirit in this way, you're going to continually have to die to yourself. Because what's, what's going to happen, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you and you're going, to have to, you're going to have to not get caught up in what will people think? What if I'm wrong? What if, what if, I'm, not, uh, what if I'm not hearing God right? You know the problem with all those statements? I, 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 I. And as long as it's about us, it's, it's going to be very hard for it to ever be about Him. You see, when the Spirit of God is moving, he moves best when we get out of the way. He moves best when we stop worrying about ourselves. He moves best when we start, stop thinking about what will people think. And we just let him move. And when he moves on us, he moves in a variety of ways. And you're never going to be able, you could have God moving in your life in a certain way. You say, well, I always know when my hand starts to shake or when my hand's hot, I, that's how I know. Well, here's what I would say. Good for you that God has used that in your life. But guess what? God's not going to ever let you become more dependent on that than you are on him. He's never going to let you get to the place where you've got it figured out how he moves in your life. He's not going to let anybody get in that place. And you don't want to get in that place. You want to have the we want to cultivate in our hearts such a love for the Lord and such a sensitivity to Him that it's just how we roll. It's how we think. It's, we're already, we're not coming into church to get sensitive. We already are, are sensitive. And a willingness to let Him do whatever He wants in our life and not worry about what people think. So I've had people ask me, you know, I've had people come and see me, and, and if I ever get to talking about the church, you've watched me when I talk about the healings. I, I just, I can't. I mean, without, I just become, even, even mentioning it, here I go. I mean, I just start to weep. I had a pastor ask me, well, what's your prayer life like? And, uh, you know, I said, well, you know what, I can be honest with you, I cry a lot. It's just the season where that's just how that works. I came in Sunday morning and go to the pastoral prayer time, and we have fun in our pastoral prayer time. We pray, but we have fun. And I like to, I like to highlight things and along the way tease people. I, I love to tease people. And um, so 
you know, and it's all fun. It's just fun in there. But Sunday morning, I got in there, and, and we just started talking. I mean, the Spirit of God came down. And I mean, next thing I knew, I was, I was weeping in the presence of the Lord. He was there. And, you know, you can feel funny about that, or you can say, you know what? I'd rather have the hand of God on my life. I don't care what it looks like to anybody else. I just want him on my life, and I want to be sensitive to him. And I'm not going to worry about, about how people process it. I can't because I'd rather… Then it becomes about me, not about him. That's an example of letting the Spirit of God just work in your life. Ask the Lord, Lord, don't let it ever become about me. Let it always be about you. Be sensitive to him. You know, he'll speak to you in this service, but he'll speak to you tonight. He'll speak to you when you lay your head on the pillow. He'll speak to you when you get up in the morning. You know, I love that verse in Ecclesiastes. My body is asleep, but my heart is awake. He'll speak to you while you're dreaming. He loves to speak. Smith Wigglesworth said this, and I close with this. When I catch the first breath of the Spirit, I leave everything and everybody to be in His presence to hear what He has to say. That's it. When I catch the first breath of the Spirit, I leave everything and everybody to dial in and say, God, I want to hear from you. God is preparing us for what He's going to do.